before we begin, I wanted to introduce you all to our new interns, Anna Grace and Eric. Y'all, they are so great. I've only worked with them for like a week, and they have saved me already like a half dozen times. Uh, they are just so good. Um, I want to explain a little bit about their job, because it may be weird to you if you're a first-year student and you've never dealt with an intern or a ministry person at all, but essentially their job is to hang out with you. And to love you, and to spend time with you, and to talk to life, uh, talk about life with you. Uh, they're there to talk about your roommate problems. Somebody maybe outside of that equation. They're there to talk about boyfriend girlfriend stuff. They're ter- there to talk about parents. They're there just to hang out and play basketball or go to Yopo or you know anything you want to do. They're there for you. We're here for you. RUF is here for the University of North Carolina. It's here for the students here. We want to love you. We want to serve you. We want to help you figure out what it means to be a student here. We want to help you figure out what it means to one day go out and get a job. Or one day go and be a mother or a father or a spouse. We want to help you think through that. We want to help you help love you in that so that you don't feel like a ton of pressure to go out and change the world one day. Though some of you will. But we want to give you the freedom to be yourself and to love God and to love other people. And that's what they're here to help you do. That's what I'm here to help you do. So thank you all. Uh, they'll be in the back with sign-ups. Uh, actually, quick note of change. We're not going to do sign-ups in the back outside. We're going to do sign-ups in the back after this. So just put that on your radar. Um, so if you don't know me, which I don't think a lot of y'all do, my name is Simon Stokes. I'm the campus minister for RUF. I'm the one that will pretty consistently be up here preaching and teaching and meeting with y'all for coffee or things like that. Uh, but just a quick update about my life. My wife, Katie, is due with our baby soon. Due on Friday. We weren't sure if it was going to come today or not, but it's not, so here we are. <laughs> you love rolling those dice, don't you? <laughs> uh, we, some common questions I get. Do we know if it's a boy or a girl? No. We're just going to, again, roll the dice. Uh, we, don't, we have names picked up, out. We're not sharing them yet, so sorry. But if you see me in the next few months on campus and I've got like a baby Bjorn on the front and I look exhausted, like, just say hey. I may have forgotten your name. I may kind of be maybe sleeping on the quad under a tree, but I'm out there for you. I'm trying to love you. <laughs> That's right. Uh, <laughs> Seriously, though, if you need anything, let us know. If you need anything from our freshmen or community group leaders, they're here for you. I'm here for you. There's a list of people offering rides to church in the back. Uh, if you need a trip to the grocery store, if you need to, want to go to figure out the best hamburger spot, we know, we know where that is. It's Buns. It's right up here. <laughs> Secrets out. <laughs> but whatever it is, we're here for you. Uh, you may be asking yourself, what is RUF? RUF's a Christian college ministry. Uh, the acronym RUF stands for Reformed University Fellowship. It's not a cult. It's just... Whoever made up the name a long time ago didn't think through, or people don't understand what that means. But basically, RUF believes in three essential things. Scripture, that it's true, that it's our authority, that Scripture leads to Jesus, that He's the way we're made right with ourselves, with God and the world, and that basically life is a process. And I don't expect anyone to come in here and have their act together. I don't have my act together. We're all people following Jesus in discipleship after Him. So that's kind of RUF. So one of the things we do here at RUF is we preach through a book of the Bible pretty consistently. I'll maybe do some topical stuff some in the future, but mainly it's a book of the Bible. I'm preaching this semester in Galatians. It's just some general background for Galatians. Paul 
is the apostle who's writing this. He's writing after this revolutionary moment has happened. Paul believes that God has entered into the world and entered the world in a way that it was held by evil, by sin, by death. And God has done it as a baby. A little tiny baby. And this baby's grown up into a man who's incredibly humble, incredibly wise, incredibly powerful. But he doesn't use any of his wisdom or any of his power for himself. He uses it for other people. And we're here to worship him, to know him, because we think he makes us right with the world. You see, Jesus gave up his life on a cross so that we would be reconciled to God. And that's hard for us, I think, because here we kind of live in a meritocracy. Like UNC is a place where you got here because you worked hard. You got here because you're smart. I'm here because of those things. But in some way, our wisdom and our power was for us. But Jesus does the opposite. He gives himself so completely that he goes to the cross to save selfish people, self-involved people, people like us, from sin and death. And that's utterly revolutionary. And Paul is writing this letter to the Galatians because there are people who've come to this church and they want to reverse that revolution. And they've, what they've done is they've said, you know, Jesus is good and fine, but you need to add a little something to that. You need to do some other things over here. And that's really upset Paul. But in some ways, it's really appealed to the people in this church. Because in some ways, we all want to deliver ourselves, don't we? We live in a meritocracy. We want to live our own merit. We want to deliver ourselves. And Paul's point is this. Is that we can want to deliver ourselves, but we must trust God to be our deliverance. And it makes no sense to live as though that revolution hasn't come. So I have two points tonight. I'm hoping to go through this pretty quick. What does Jesus deliver us from? And what does Jesus deliver us to? What does he deliver us from? What does he deliver us to? So let me read Galatians 1, 1-5 and we'll start. Paul, an apostle not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray and we'll get started. Father, as we come tonight, uh, none of us have our ducks in a row. None of us have our stuff together. Lord, we come as people with empty hands to you. Lord, I pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts, to understand who you are, to understand what you would desire for us, to understand the good things you give us from your word and from your son. Lord, I pray now that the meditations of all of our hearts and the words of my mouth would be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So y'all, uh, this summer was kind of like a catch-up summer for me. I'm I'm really busy in the spring, really busy in the fall. I'm a movie guy, though, and so I don't get to see a lot of the movies that come out during the school year. And we tried to go see Frozen at some point this last spring at kind of a cheap theater here on Franklin Street, but it was sold out, and we just couldn't make it. And so I think this June, we rented it one night when we were at the beach, and we watched it, and I was really impressed by it. I love, I actually really like Frozen a lot, more than I thought I would. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> 
And what I was so impressed by with the movie was the beginning and the end and the way that Disney really goes to show what does and does not change people's heart. Do you remember the scene at the beginning of the movie when Elsa and Anna are playing as like little girls and they like snuck out for the night and they're in that kind of big ballroom kind of thing and Elsa, however she has those magic powers, she's like using them for stuff and they're like, they're making snowmen. I think that's actually the song they're singing. <laughs> they're making snowmen. They're doing snow castles, snow forts. They're throwing snowballs at one another. They're having a really good time. And then that accident happens. And Elsa is trying to help her sister, but she freezes her on accident. Yeah. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> she hurt her sister. And her parents were so upset by this. What was their response? We're going to lock her up. You know, if she works really hard, if she locks this thing deep down inside of her, if she doesn't actually deal with the root cause of what this is, if she can get a grip on what it is that made her do this, then we'll let her out. Then she could be free. How'd that turn out for them? Not well. She busts out later on, and she's thinking, let it go. <laughs> Freezing stuff, feeling free for the first time. And it's really actually a liberating point but what is so important about it, I think, is that she doesn't know how to control it. Nothing really has changed for her. Nothing's changed for her powers. And in fact, when she lets it go, it really makes things worse. She freezes the kingdom. She kind of makes it like this never-ending winter. And if I'm following the story right, the upside to it, though, is that you get really cool ice castles and like an adorable snowman sidekick. <laughs> but the starting place of this entire billion dollar movie is when it comes to dealing with the stuff in your heart that hurts other people and which tears up the fabric of the world, just trying harder doesn't really work. Like ever. And I think that's one of the big things that Jesus delivers us from. Jesus delivers us from having to live by our own merit. That sense that I'm going to handle this thing on my own. You know, Christians run from the good things in their life, they run from the bad things in their life, and they run to Jesus. Because they stand not on their merit, but on His merit. You don't have to have the sense that if I can just get a handle on this thing that's hurting me, that's hurting other people, but if I let it go, it's going to break out. It's going to destroy me. That's not on you. That's on Him to take care of in your life. You don't have to live by your own merit. We also don't have to have the sense that we have to beat back the sin and the darkness in the world on our own. You know, if you are in Christ, then God is for you. Not everything, He's not for everything that we do, not for everything that we say or feel. Obviously, like, if you read the news or see some of the stuff that Christians have said in the past, that's certainly not the case. But God is for His people, and He is for you. And if you aren't a Christian, then He calls you to Himself because He doesn't want you to be alone in the world and with the darkness of the world or to bear the weight of the consequences of living apart from God. I think especially this comes home if you think about, have you ever been in one of those relationships where like, you're really, really, really into the other person and maybe you gave yourself to them like heart, soul, and mind and you're like, this is it for me. And then that person broke up with you to date somebody else and you felt kind of like a stepping stone? Or what if you were the person that broke up with that other person? And you think back to yourself a few months later, 
man, that wasn't right. I really wish I hadn't done that. You don't have to bear those things on your own. The beauty of the gospel is that Jesus himself was crushed. He knows what it is to be crushed and be alone from people. But he was crushed so that we wouldn't have to bear the guilt of our own sin in the way that we hurt other people. He deals with the sin and the darkness of the world with us because he's for us. You know, I think especially, I'm assuming that a lot of us are from the South. I'm from Alabama. I, th- I think because of just the demographics, the way UNC works, a lot of us are probably from North Carolina or somewhere else like that. But a lot of us have probably grown up with a lot of moralism, like kind of mingled in with Christian Christianity. And that moralism can make it seem like, you know, what I'm doing is really this bargain between me and God. That if I do X and Y and Z, then he will, insert blank, like me, not be mad at me, make me feel okay with myself, give me a really happy life. Christianity is not a bargain between you and God. Or maybe you go on mission trips, or you read the Bible, or you pray, or you get really involved in the campus ministry. Or you find some sort of cause to about yourself, and then he gives you things. Christianity is a story. It's a story. And if you grew up kind of in a sort of a moralistic culture, I don't know how much this does for you, but I want to say as a pastor, as another Christian, but I'm sorry if you've ever been burned by that. I'm sorry if you've been hurt by people who try to force some sort of morality bargain on top of you. I can't go back in time and fix that. But I hope that RUF or some other campus ministry here, some church that you get involved in, can help you to heal from that, can help you find out what Christianity is really all about. That it's not an XYZ list of rules, but it's a story. I mean, think about one of the most famous Bible verses in the world, For God so loved the world. Think about that. That's a story. For God so loved the world. Look at verse 1 here, where Paul starts with a story too. That God the Father raised Jesus from the dead. And then verse 4, Jesus gave himself for us to deliver us from the present evil age. Christianity is not a bargain. It's a story. And God wants us to find our place in the story that he's telling the world. This brings me to our last point. When Paul says, grace to you and peace from our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, what does he mean? I think we can throw around the word grace a lot. But what does grace mean? God's unconditional, unmerited, totally, 100%, without any strings attached kind of love. Grace is not an act that I buy into. Grace is God telling a story. It's God becoming a man, bearing the weight of his people's sins, and reconciling them to him through his death on a cross. The gracious the basis, gracious, the basis of the grace on hand is something real and historical. It's Paul looking at what Jesus, the real Jesus, has done and said, this concrete, hold it in your hands history, and saying, this is the basis for how I will live the rest of my life. I can be rich, I can be poor, I can be sick, I can be well, I can be married, I can be unmarried, I can be happy, I can be sad. This is the basis. I think sometimes we can feel disconnected from that, even though it's really true. Uh, a few years ago, Katie and I had the, the opportunity to go to Israel for the first time, or probably the last time too, but <laughs> we had a chance to go to Israel, 
And I was in seminary. I was getting ready to graduate from seminary. And it was kind of like a graduation present to go to the Bible land. And I was the Bible guy. I was like, all right, I've, like, I'm in seminary. I'm going to be a pastor. I'm excited about this. I believe the Bible. I'm on board with this stuff. This is going to be cool. And I got there. And what struck me more than any of the stuff that we saw, because we went to a lot of cool churches and saw a lot of neat historical things, but what struck me the most was that this place is real. Like a real place. And I had never had that sense that I was reading the Bible as just pure literature, even though I really believed it, until I went to the place where the Bible happened. I think what Paul is trying to teach us here is that God's grace is not this warm, fuzzy, disconnected feeling that God might have towards you. But God's grace is Jesus Christ, born at a certain time, in a certain place, to a certain family, who spoke a real language and had real friends, and was sad at times, and was happy at times, and he ate with people, and he gave his life on a cross to save people like us. And through him we've been given everything we need. We can't get any more of God's love or approval. We don't get any more of His welcome. We don't do anything else to add to that. We have it all. The revolutionary thing that Jesus has done is that the one person in the world who never knew what it was to hurt another person because they sinned against them, who never knew what it was to have a wicked thought or to experience shame or that sense that I can't tell people what's going on inside of me, that person went to the cross and so identified with sin and with shame that God looked at him and said, it is as if you are sin. And then God looked at us and said, you are as right with me as my son Jesus. God doesn't take us to this place where it's like, alright, we're back to zero, we have to work our way up. He gives us the same right standing with him as Jesus. It's like you went to the cross for people. It's like you never sinned. It's like you always loved people perfectly, wholly, if you're in Christ. And maybe you've come to college and you just feel like you've fallen off the cliff. You know, like, I quit praying. I don't read the Bible anymore. I never thought I'd be one of those people who went to college and tried to reenact scenes from The Hangover. But I woke up this morning. I, don't, I was next to Mike Tyson's tiger. And I don't have this bowler right here. What happened to it? If you're a Christian, you are the righteousness of God. Or you may get here and you are that all-star in high school, super competent, super involved, super academic, and you stood out, and you showed up to UNC, and pretty quickly you felt like, you know, everyone here was all those things too. And I don't stand out anymore. Who am I? If you are a Christian, you are the righteousness of God. What if you're here and you just don't consider yourself a Christian? I don't ever assume that. Everyone here is. You may be asking, all right, do I have to like clean up my act for God to like me or to be with these people? Do I have to behave before I can belong to RUF or any kind of church? Or do I get in now with expectation I'll have to pay back something later. Like, in other words, is this like my student loans? No. No, it's not. There is no gift more free than the gift of life and freedom 
offered in Jesus Christ. You don't change for the gift. The gift changes you. That's the sweet thing about the gospel. And you know, if the point of the Bible is to be a book above rules that you can't keep, and how God can never be happy with you, and how there's always one more thing to do, or one more rung to climb, then of course it won't make you free. And of course you won't love God. And of course you're bitter towards Him. And you might fear Him, but you'll never love Him. But if the point of the Bible is to tell a story of how God delivers His people from the power of sin, and how He loves His people, and He loves you, and how He has set you free so that you would be His child, and you would be brothers and sisters together, and that you would find love in your heart that you didn't put there, but that was given to you as a gift, then that's good news. And that's a beautiful thing. And when you have that, you have real peace. And that's more than a tranquil kind of afternoon on the quad sense of peace. It's a peace that can't be taken from you. It's a peace where you flourish. And where you can have peace with your roommates. And peace with your parents. And peace with your exam schedule. Because you have peace with God. And no one can take that away from you. And you can't screw that up. Because it's a gift from God. Now I'll end with this. Do you remember Frozen? Of course you do. I talked about it a few minutes ago. <laughs> you how, alright, so Elsa gets locked up for all those years. She buries her junk. She can't get out and then finally she busts out. She's seeing Let It Go freezing the place. What happens to finally make El- Elsa the unfrozen woman? What sets Elsa free? When she finally received her sister Anna's love, she blocked her out for years and took Anna out on the ice at the end with the snow blowing, the frost on those ships as they're buckling under those big icebergs, going after her sister, looking for her sister, calling for her, and then finally being frozen before Elsa could be free, before her heart could melt. She had to see that someone else was frozen in her place that someone loved her enough to go out on the ice after her. And what Disney is doing there is not just tapping into good storytelling. It's tapping into the way the universe works. For a lot of us who've worked hard to get here, who've leapfrogged over people in our classes, who played the resume game, it feels much safer to say, I've got this, I can handle this thing on my own. The time I put in, the cause I devote myself to, the next step for me, that will give me peace. But it makes no sense of the story of what the Bible is telling. You know what does make sense? That Jesus Christ became a man and he died in your place to set you free. On the cross, Jesus' heart isn't just frozen, it's broken. His peace with God is destroyed so that you would have peace. God's unmerited favor, His steadfast love, His welcome, His joy. The fact that He stands over you and He looks at you and says, This is my son. This is my daughter. I have nothing against you. I only have love and affection and nothing will cool that. Man, that's what makes sense of the Bible. That's the story of Christianity. And if you would have it, it could be your story as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you 
that you've told a beautiful story in your word. Thank you that it's a story that's not all flowers and gumdrops and smiling faces, but Lord, that it makes sense out of what's so hard about the world. That it makes sense out of so many of our stories. And Lord, that it doesn't just leave us at the bottom, but it takes us to the top. Because it's a story that leads us to your smile. It's a story that leads us to the look in your eye that says, this is my son, this is my daughter, with whom I'm well pleased. Lord, I pray, God, that, that you would fill us up with this story. I pray that if there are those here tonight who don't know you, that they would come to know that story and to embrace it because they know your son. And they know they've been embraced by him. Lord, I pray that you give us everything we need. I pray you give us community. I pray you give us rich fellowship. I pray you give us yourself through your word. In your sense, I pray. Amen.